You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about values and purpose. So I've been diving pretty deep into values and purpose recently. I mean, I've been doing this for a while as a marketer. I've consulted with brands for years over a decade at this point, on the importance of clearly establishing your values, your vision, your mission, et cetera, to be able to create a successful path for your business, which is still a thousand percent, a hundred percent, a thousand and a hundred percent true. That is really, really necessary to build your business. But I've also been diving into a lot of personal values and purpose exploration and really taking a look at the role that I think those play in building our businesses. So as an owner, getting really, really clear on understanding your personal values and your vision and your goal and your life purpose and how that can potentially manifest itself into the business that you're building and the alignment between those things. So I'm really excited to dive into this a little bit with today's guest, Pamela Slim. Hey, Pam. Hi. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am a huge fan of Pam and her newest book just came out well in 2021, The Widest Net. She talks a lot about how you have to establish your why and really root everything you do in your values and your mission and your vision and goes on to share this beautiful framework for building your widest net as a business. So I think that there's a lot of parallels there and there's a lot of really interesting things to jump into. So needless to say, I'm super pumped. This is going to be a fun conversation. For those of you who may not know, Pam Slim is an award-winning author, speaker, and business coach who works with small business owners ready to scale their businesses and IP. She's the author of Escape from Cubicle Nation, Body of Work, and The Widest Net. Pam and her husband, Daryl, co-founded the K. Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, where they host scores of diverse community leaders and regular business, small business programming. So welcome, Pam. I'm so happy to be here. I am so thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for chatting. And Pam, we had the great fortune of chatting a couple of weeks ago. And at that point, I was like, Pam, I promise I I haven't had a chance to read The Widest Net yet, but I promise I will before we chat on the podcast. And it wasn't lying. I just finished it. And just like Body of Work, it took me forever to get through because I took so many freaking notes. And so The Widest Net, I have so many notes on this one as well. And we were just chatting a little bit before we pressed record. But one of the things I'm so, I've just really honed in on from your writing is you're so clear and concise and instructional with like all the right context. And you bring up so many amazing concepts and frameworks in the widest net. And we don't have time to dive into all of them right now. But one of the things that I I think is that I love the most is the importance of establishing your why and your values and your vision and your mission. So as I mentioned, I, I believe that business owners could or should think about aligning their businesses with their personal values and vision and goals. So what are your thoughts on the relationship between an owner's personal goals, values, and how they go about building their business? My experience is definitely informed by 
spending many, many, many years, now 25 years, in a capacity of either being a consultant to business leaders or a coach. Mm -hmm. And so the beautiful benefit of that is really hearing behind the scenes what's going on with people, what are the amazing opportunities and great times, and then what are the really difficult times. Pretty much without an exception throughout all of these decades now of doing the work, when there is great strife, so either in a larger company where there's strife happening inside the company, or Mm -hmm. even in a one-person business or a very, very small firm, almost always the diagnosis of what the issue is comes down to lack of alignment between the mission or the values of people on the team. So either a leader is acting in such a way that is absolutely rubbing the team members wrong because Mm -hmm. they feel like they're not heard or valued or respected. Or for a lot of business owners I've talked to throughout the years, they might say, I'm making money. I should feel happy because things are going well, but I am just not excited at all about what I do. And usually when you begin to peel the layers away, there's something also misaligned in terms of how they want to be using their own life force, energy, and skills to be building something. And when there's not an alignment, it generally results in dissatisfaction and sometimes stress and sometimes physical ailments at an extreme. Yep. I could see how that happens. So how have you been able to use this for yourself and, and manifest alignment in the work that you've been doing? Personally, I have always been very driven by meaning and purpose. I wrote in Body of Work a lot about my dad, and who's a very influential person in my life. Um, my dad was a lifelong community volunteer. He worked on a big community project, the Port Costa School, for many years until he passed away a number of years ago. Actually, more like four decades. So <laughs> volunteering, rebuilding, grant writing, always really busy in the community. And so there is something about seeing that for me that really resonated where I saw a purpose beyond just making money and noticing, especially the way that my dad was, he also was a photographer and loved his craft. He always was really passionate about it. And for a number of years, we worked uh, just around the corner from each other in downtown San Francisco. And so I spent lots of time in the old days in the dark room with him. And then a little later years looking with it with digital photography, but just really connecting with seeing how joyful he was after many, many decades of doing work and also seeing how beneficial it was to be having an impact. So personally, in my choice of school path, my, my major in college was international service and development. I was always really passionate about economic change, social change, yeah. grassroots change. And That just for me became something that I always looked for, either in an environment or in some of the volunteer projects that I did. So the more time that I did that work, and I think it was especially in writing my last book, Body of Work, I began to also realize that the choice that we make about aligning our work with something that's very deeply meaningful means that we can actually do something to make a difference in the kinds of issues and concerns that are important to us in the world. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, especially now, I look at the work that I'm doing, which pretty much day in and day out are with really smart, amazing people who are 
building infrastructure for the new world in a more fair, equitable way, inclusive way. And I start to make these connections of I'm not just this dreamer who's dreaming about a different world. I'm actually, through my skills, helping to build businesses that really are transforming business culture. So I think that's the part of it that starts to get really exciting. And it ceases to just become about bringing in some bucks to pay the bills, which is important too. We all got to do it. Nothing wrong with it, but yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think we are so aligned too in the work that, that we do in terms of just trying to create a better, more equitable world <laughs> in terms of in all the things. But one thing that you just said that I really liked was choice. And I think that's a really simple yet loaded concept. And in the sense of like, we all have choice. And this idea, especially in entrepreneurship and building businesses, it's what choices are you making? Because at the end of the day, you get to make all the choices for better or for worse. It's true. And I always think about it through an intersectional lens as well, probably because of the work that we do here at the Learning Lab. So yeah. it's, it's true. Each individual is going to have a different choice. And then each individual is going to be impacted by systemic issues in a different way in terms of how people might respond to the choice or what opportunities are available or what somebody's lived experience is when they choose to open a certain kind of business. So it's, I am in agreement, I think in so many years of being in the coaching world, and I'm always going to be the more radical, rebellious person probably in the inner room because it's just the way that I see the world because I'm really driven by justice. But sometimes we simplify things down to only like everything is just about choice. If you want to have a different kind of reality, you need to make a different choice, Mm -hmm. which totally agree. And with many different people who I work with, that's the case. To put a layer on it though is really that the kinds of choices and the implications of choices can impact people in a very different way and the kinds of opportunities that come. So that's something I'm always aware of. And within somebody's understanding of their lived experience, within their understanding of the context in which they live, then I think their choices are also shaped by that, not just by what they would dream of doing. No, I think that's a great point because as humans, you know, yes, we have choice, but we are also impacted by the circumstances that surround us. And in a perfect world, we would all have Mm. all of the same choices. Well, it's just not where we're at right now. (laughs) But it's important that we just be mindful of, be mindful of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it is, it is, I think at any given time, just, being aware of that and then using that in different ways of, of recognizing, you know, when, when is it important for me to move in this direction and do this work? When is it important for me to be an ally in this work? What are ways yeah. that I can be using my life and work in a way that really makes a difference in many different contexts? So within yeah. a family, with I happen to have kids. And so for anybody else listening who does, it's a whole other dimension when you begin yeah. to look at what is your personal aspiration, what is what is part of what you want to do, and then what's the impact when you have beloveds that are dependent on you that could be pets, parents, children, <laughs> you know, a spouse. Right. That's ways in which we're our choices interrelated with choices that we make about how we interact with other people. Yeah, absolutely. 
You had brought up the work that you're doing with the Cab Main Street Learning Lab. And I think as we talk about values and purpose and choices, I think that kind of all kind of rolls up into that. If you want to take a moment, tell us a little bit about how that's kind of manifesting itself in the Learning Lab. Yeah. So about five and a half years ago, I did a 23 city tour around the U.S. that was an early stage research for the widest net. And I had been places where I had done book tours before. I had a model that I was interested in using. It was the early stages of the model that now you've read about in the final book. And Highly it recommended. Was <laughs> plug for the book. So, um, but in that, I... I am a training and development person at heart. It's funny. It, it makes me happy that you recognize that maybe there's a concise way that I explain things because I look at the world through is. lenses of performance improvement, training and development, yeah. you know, behaviors. I just love that. And so anyway, part of what I was interested in is really doing some engagement and experimentation of talking about the concept around the country. Yeah. And so the first place that I went to for some reason, in addition to doing that, like a half day workshop, I also asked the question, how many of you have ever seen a Native American business presenter speaking on a business topic at a business conference? Mm-hmm. And then I asked that same question in all 23 cities throughout the tour. And by the end of it, there were seven people who ever had, and four of those were in Vancouver, Canada. So my husband is wow. Dene, he's Navajo. And so our kids are Navajo and Anglo. I have really all kinds of beloved extended family members, uh, my in-laws, nieces and nephews, and extended community along not only just the Navajo tribe, but many other 22 federally recognized tribe here in Arizona, and then around North America. So we just began to really think if we find this problematic, which we definitely do, because the problem is not that there aren't business experts, that there was just no visibility, no opportunity. Very rarely would you see any business owner that was here on Main Street. So that's when we decided to open the learning lab. And it was with the intention of creating a beautiful, welcoming, engaging space that would feel very much like a warm hug, a beautiful spot, yes. a hogan in, in Diné way, a hogan's a beautiful home, traditional home you have with a fire in the center. That kind of feeling that the the word um, that is the name of the physical building that my husband named is the system of kinship, that kind of connection that you have when you really specifically know how you're related to your relatives by clan. So that kind of feeling is so important, we think, at first, when people are wanting to dream, wanting to work on big plans. In many cases, what we found is for many business owners, they were not necessarily feeling that vibe at all when they were going into different spaces that were your traditional startup, chambers of commerce, all those Mm -hmm. kinds of spaces. There wasn't an awareness, any kind of cultural understanding, microaggressions. And that wasn't just with Native entrepreneurs. It was with Black, Latinx, you know, Asian entrepreneurs. So, that really was the first thought of how can we just create a space in order to get to know folks, build community, and then highlight the leadership that exists but is rarely seen in business dealings um, here in Mesa in the greater Phoenix area. So mm-hmm. it's just been a beautiful journey. We've engaged with thousands of people. We have made so many powerful, beautiful connections. A lot of businesses have sprouted from initial connections that people have had here, That's including awesome. other incubator space that are run all by Native um, entrepreneurs themselves. So it's been really a, truly a learning lab for me and the work that I do, where for many years I was just doing the online 
coaching, you know, world of the internet, which I think is, I still think is so cool. It's so neat to be able to run a business through it's the internet and Zoom. I mean, it's magic. We can just it's like fascinating. pay I each mean, other. Like, and Yeah, we can pay each other. Nobody needs actual dollars. You can hang out with people across like different countries, different cultures. At yeah, least I mean, to side note, tangent, over the last couple of years, that has been my saving grace. I love to travel. I haven't been able to see or meet anybody new. And so I've been in a lot of different trainings with people from literally all over the world. And I was like, oh, thank you for feeding my soul for these last right? few years. I mean, it's totally magical and yeah. amazing. And it, it is amazing that you can create a super viable, profitable business just mm-hmm. using the internet and a lot of sometimes free or very low cost tools. So yeah. that exposure is so important and having access to that is amazing. It is a different scenario, which is also equally wonderful to be literally on a main street where I can be talking yes. every day to yeah. restaurant owners and clothing store owners and really seeing when we talk about the small business segment, it is a 53% of the U.S. gross domestic product is driven by small business. And so that's a heck of a lot of people out there. Yep. And I find in our internet magic Narnia world. Sometimes we don't realize what margins are like when you run a restaurant, especially when you run it during a global, you know, shutdown and quarantine. So that's just been super helpful to just really see and experience this reality of this mix of the magic of the internet with also very important, hugely valuable local downtowns, which I'm just a very passionate advocate for. Absolutely. I mean, as a fellow lover of small business, it's like, to your point, like 53% of the economy is bustling because of small business, like uh, shop local, <laughs> you know, like, right, this is a real thing. And and not to go down too far down a rabbit hole, but I love the idea of when you swipe your card for a small business, you're facilitating somebody's dream. You are paying for their kid's education. You are putting food on their table tonight. It's not just like, putting extra bucks in like some billionaire's pocket. It's like you are actually participating in making dreams happen. (laughs) Not to like go all woo-woo on everybody, but like- It's true. It's real. It's very real. That That is a huge driver for me because it is such a powerful kind of connection we can have with each other. And to imagine having sustainable, viable- employment and income coming in that is much more flexible. And I think we mm-hmm. can do a lot more for each other than if you're only looking to do business you know, maybe with large companies. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with large companies. I work no. with large companies that serve the small business market. Like many people are happy working in a larger company. We know yeah. there are some systemic issues, especially around pay disparity, you know, and all those, yeah. like you were saying, bigger issues. But <laughs> the same time, there can be sometimes these positive kinds of ecosystem connections where you see this collaboration. I feel like I'm always (laughs) playing this role of showcasing and highlighting this beauty of what most people just pass by and don't see. I I gave the example of just this amazing native entrepreneur leadership with such contribution and value and history and connection to place as one example, but it also is just how many things that small business owners 
in not just a downtown area, but any kind of right neighborhood area, how much they know about each other, how much people look out for each other, what it feels like when you can walk down the street and people actually know who you are, that sense of connection and belonging that we're all really looking for, right? People Uh who are really there for you. There's so much of that. And it is something that often gets glossed over even by like local economic development initiatives where it's like, yeah, 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 want, want, want. People are down here downtown. Okay, great. Thanks. We're, we're sort of glad the community has this cool vibe, but there's really not an understanding of actually what it takes and yeah. the beauty of what's happening in that small vibe. It's like zeroing in when you take the time to meander through this side street and all of a sudden just witness this tremendous beauty, like in a French film or something, you know, like (laughs) it's not just this, all right, economic growth, GDP, investment, gentrification. Yeah. Like that's (laughs) so transactional. There's, there's so much beauty on the ground. I agree. And you know, people, the cliche phrase, like it's not personal, it's business. I just don't feel like it applies, especially with small business. Like small business, it is personal because it's your business and it's your livelihood and it's your communities. And it's this this ecosystem, to use your word, Mm. this ecosystem that you start to build, if you're lucky, quite organically and otherwise, as you talk about in the widest net, quite intentionally Mm. to support each other, just like you were saying. Like you don't do this by yourself. Yeah. And that's a fallacy. That's a great example of it's not personal, it's business. Since when? Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Every single echelon of elite leadership, elite concentration of wealth is always personal. There's choice about partners who you work with. That's the hilarious thing is that really is a fallacy that is just meant to remove a sense of values and connection and often really looking at a highly transactional kind of, you know, decision that you have to make. I remember being inside HR for the early years in my career in larger companies. Mm -hmm. And when you're really doing that work with a lens on values, it doesn't mean necessarily that you would never lay somebody off because you you can have a business and you can understand dynamics. A market is shifting or there's a merger acquisition. There are dynamics that can happen where it can have an impact and an outcome Mm -hmm. in which people might lose their job, the whole way around how that expectation, that contract is set in that situation, the way in which it happens, really looking at the whole person valuing people is absolutely a values choice. So it's a, don't even get me started about that whole, yeah, like (laughs) it's not personal, it's business. You know, why do you care so much? You could make so much more money if you didn't worry about little things like Like equity or (laughs) ethics, like- Taking care of some things. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. All these these things, people like, well, who cares? No, that's like right. that's all that matters. Yeah. I love that. You know, another thing that you talk about as we talk about people that you talk about in the widest net is not only just basing your business off of your values and your mission, but also making sure that you're centering it around your audience and how you're solving problems for them, which I couldn't agree with you more. I think a lot of people really get stuck on like, this is the thing I want to do and someone's going to buy it. It's like, well, maybe if you got over yourself and you just talk to somebody and try to solve their problem, let's talk about that. So, So what would you say are some ways owners can maybe be a bit more diligent about trying to nail down the problems they're trying to solve 
and take ownership of their piece of the pie in terms of that equation. Yeah. Going back again to doing so many years of career coaching, there is important part of the way that you look at your path, which is what are you uniquely interested in? And you can have creative ideas and inspiration. People have them every day about mm-hmm. something that is sounds cool to do. Yeah. In order for it to be a business, it does have to meet actual paying people, people that are not <laughs> your relatives that have a credit card or a purchase order yeah. who can pay for what it is that you're offering and where they determine that it is something that is valuable. Again, the ethics and the values question comes in because we've certainly seen throughout the years plenty of things that are sold that when you look really closely at it aren't necessarily making any additional contribution, could be creating harm. Sometimes that's the probably the 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 bit of the the shadow side of the marketing world is we know Mm -hmm. a lot can be made very shiny and attractive through sometimes the power of persuasion and marketing and branding. And I have a great admiration for folks who know how to do it, but it's one of those skills that when you have it, you do really want to be thoughtful about how it is that you use it. Because sooner or later, usually things begin to catch up to you. So I see it a lot in the online world. Somebody might be doing really well and cranking out all kinds of sales for an online course or some type of internet marketing, you know, thing where all the energy is really put into just the marketing of it. And then when it comes down to it, what people's experience with it, is it actually solving the problem that it is promised to solve? Is it something that makes a difference? That's where you really want to be looking at that as a component to connecting with what's personally important to you with what the world actually needs. And in the context of the ecosystem, it's also making early stage business decisions where you might say, I think I'm super interested in this. We can have plenty of viable, wonderful competitors within a space. It's not like you have to be the only one who's doing it. But if, for example, you find someone or you find a company that's just really doing the thing that you thought about doing, and maybe they're more resourced and they're already like deep in that area, it can be a good pause and a redirection for some people to say, yeah, I actually would rather look at this slice of something maybe that hasn't been addressed in the same way or to do something in a little different way. So that part of it is really important. And I will give a shout out to our mutual friend, Susan Beyer, because we, we spent about five years as mastermind partners along with our friend, Chris Lee. And so becomes one of those things where when you meet with somebody so for so long, <laughs> you forget <laughs> where was the origin of certain ideas. I know when I wrote Body of Work, I had one chapter on avatars, ecosystems, and watering holes. So that was a concept way in the early days yeah. of escape that I was playing around with. And working with Susan, who is an audience segmentation specialist, mm-hmm. she's the one that just really opened my eyes. And I use her method in, in the widest net yeah. to specifically defining your ideal customers by problem, challenge, or aspiration. And it just makes everything about marketing to them different. And it is a very different way to approach business. No, and I love that. And thank you for adding those other two qualifiers there, problem, challenge, or aspiration, because (laughs) I know a lot of times, especially like in the coaching world, you're looking for change. You're looking for some transformation. And so that aspiration of like, I am here, but I want to be here. That's also a really good thing to just keep in mind is that it's not always necessarily like this problem, this like tangible business problem. Sometimes it's a bit more of like this journey of point A to point B and 
what all goes into that? Yeah, any particular business mission or purpose can usually just be looked at from those two different angles. So it's either somebody is really sick and tired of having to run into the same obstacle, or Mm -hmm. they can imagine that what would it be like if I actually had no friction. I was able to get all my business set up within one day with great ease and no stress. That could be something that could be an aspiration. The the other side of that from a problem or challenge is, God, I'm so frustrated because it takes me 13 different phone calls and visits to all these different places to set up my stuff. So ends up in the same place, but I find that people are motivated or not motivated by different things. Some people are like, enough with the pain, enough with the problems. And yeah, no. I get that. I get that if they don't see the world that way. For sure. Uh, I feel like that that also capitalizes on Greg McEwen's uh, mm-hmm. book, Effortless. Like, what if it was easy? Yes. And it's like, oh, right. Because life is hard enough the way it is. Why do we have, why do we keep making it harder on ourselves? So, So yeah, a good reminder. What if it was easy? So speaking of that, what if it was easy, you know, Mm -hmm. as business owners, we wear so many hats and we oftentimes try to do too many things all on our own. So why would you say like, based off of your years and years of experience, why do most business owners fail when they try to do everything themselves? I think, well, it's a little up to interpretation from the research. I will just say that some people cite the fact that 50% of all businesses fail, or it's even a smaller amount of people who are successful, like at the five-year mark. Mm -hmm. But there's a bit of academic fighting, which I leave to the academics (laughs) in terms of (laughs) exactly what the stats are. But it is very challenging to work with other people. It can be feel very vulnerable to be sharing your sometimes lack of clarity or your internal mess or stress or angst. And one of the things that is, I think, a real truth when you're beginning the entrepreneurial journey, and actually, it never ends. It actually never ends. Different stages have different things that are going on. But it is important to maintain a focus, a clarity, not necessarily wanting to just spill your entire mess all out there, you know, on the the internet or in front of everybody. For some people, that can feel like a very vulnerable thing because it is important for you to let people know that you're passionate about what you're doing and and that you do have certain things together and you have other things that are hard. So I think sometimes people just collapse everything together thinking that if I share that I have any problems whatsoever, then people may not have confidence in me. They might know somebody else who will tell somebody else I don't have it all figured out and it can become a very vulnerable thing. So I think that's one reason. Another very common reason that a lot of my scaling business owners have told me is it's hard to know where to invest. It's really hard. You're like is it this service provider or that one? Should I use this software? Should I use that one? You know, And without decision criteria, sometimes without having a solid network of people who have done it before, that can be another, another challenge. Is I've, yeah. I've seen people invest a lot of money in getting help or delegating, but they don't necessarily always get a return. And honestly, that's the business journey. You have to just be yep. willing to take small risks I always recommend where possible to do a smaller bite. And then if it is working to keep going, (laughs) but I'm sure all of us have invested money and not necessarily gotten a full return. 
I think that's just like part of the process. Like, I don't think that you, it's like, you know, earning your stripes kind of thing. I feel like you have to be a business owner that's made some really bad investments along the way, just so you can like learn how bad that burned. Like, you know, like a kid who like touches a hot stove and it's like, now, you know, okay. That's part of the learning process. Okay. <laughs> it is. It's almost inevitable. And there are just some people who are wired to be much more, not just risk averse, but really do have a good lens when it comes to finance or a lot of folks yeah. I've worked with through the years, they might've come from a deep background in corporate where they maybe had some tools of analysis that got them out of like super hot water. I always like to think of a relative amount of what you're, what kind of money that you're going to be messing around with. So the dangerous thing is where somebody says you can only be successful if in the first year you're investing $50,000 in this one program or something. And that's where I'm like, uh, not true. <laughs> and could you start with 500 and then 5,000 if that works? Yeah, and then maybe, yeah, it's, it's not about the number itself. It is really about the return on investment. Depending on the kind of business that you're in, a $50,000 investment can be nothing. Yeah. If the business that you're in and the sales cycle that you're in is one in which you can make that return. Well, and I think it's also important to acknowledge that return on investment can look like a lot of different things. Like, so maybe something to think about as business owners are making those investments is like, what are your expectations? What does success look like here? Hmm. Sometimes it's a personal thing. Sometimes it's a monetary reward. Like, just be clear on what you're looking for. Susan, I want to be mindful of your time, but as we start to wrap up here, you launched the widest net in 2021. Big fan. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you were like, oh, I'm taking a break now. But what are you working, <laughs> which maybe is like a silly thing to say to a serial entrepreneur, but uh, what are you working on now? Like what kind of getting you going? Yes, I am taking a break actually a couple, in a couple okay. days from now. I'm jumping on a plane you. with my, a plane with my family to Europe. So we're deep when we were in quarantine it, we, and we were trying to imagine a world where it was safe, where we could all be together again. We planned yeah. a trip about 18 months ago. So it's very wow. exciting. We're going to go on an adventure together, which I'm super excited about, but just for 10 days or so. Yeah. Coming back, the way that I really work with my books, I write them as an author practitioner because my clients need things and I try to figure it out and I begin to see patterns and then I work it. it takes me quite a long time in this case, yeah. six or seven years, usually between books to really begin to codify a pattern. The book coming out is really just the beginning of that because what is interesting is what happens when the book hits the hands of super smart people and people interpret it in a way that makes sense to them. And then they oh. want support and help in implementing it. So part of what it is that we're doing this year, and we being my team, and then Wayward Kind, who's my partner on the marketing side, is to be really specific about having some regular ongoing classes that really help people to implement the method. Because that is where I oh, get nice. my joy. I love people to have a general sense about... Um, what the concepts are, and there can be little things that you can do and tweak to make a difference. But if you really are interested in doing more of an implementation, that's where we're we're setting up this kind of rhythm each quarter. So we have oh, cool. classes around how to do the first part of the book, 
and, and really understanding your ecosystem and all the possibilities. There's a class, Tiny Marketing Actions, that for you who have read the book know is more in the seeding arena of how can you yeah. begin to set up habits to constantly be marketing. And so that's something I'm really looking forward to because I'm your classic let me get inspired to be creating something new in the moment kind of entrepreneur. Yeah. And that's part of what feeds my creativity and my soul. And, and I'll always do a certain amount of that. But I am realizing that there's a huge benefit in having a consistent rhythm and really bringing more people in to be helping to implement. Because I'm yeah. really, there's there's a part, I got so motivated the other day, I was listening to Guy Kawasaki's podcast, Remarkable People, with... It's Dave Evans, I think. He's a professor at Stanford. He teaches in the D school. Okay. And he talked about how in design thinking, there are three components, art, psychology, and engineering. Mm. And it was one of these just huge explosions, you know, inside my brain when he said that, because I realized for this method, the engineering component is actually really significant and I see some huge opportunity. And what I mean by that is whenever you're looking at an overall system and an ecosystem that has many people, many networks, many yeah. possibilities, there really is lots of data. There are ways in which you could use engineering, whether that's going to be apps, whether it's, you know, data analysis to really understand the, the potential in a market. I think there's a part of it that just I feel has a lot of possibility that usually involves partnering with other people who have built some of that technology. So yeah. that's part of what I see for this book is I see at least five years of really doing deeper work, not only just to help individual business owners, but also in looking at the kind of model of what we're doing here in downtown Mesa with very intentional, inclusive economic development that's based on ecosystem that is surrounded by local communities. And it sounds so radical, but imagine if we actually built opportunities in downtowns that took into consideration the needs of the neighborhoods and the neighbors that are surrounding it. Yeah. That is what we should be doing. We should be building these connections. And it means so much for us, for our economy, for our workforce. You know, so many people right now on Main Street are experiencing a lot of shortages, a lot of labor shortages, like oh many people gosh. are at the time of this recording. It's, it's, it's a whole thing to find people to work. But I'm like, this is why we need to have deep, enduring conversations with people yeah. a few blocks away. Do you know mm -hmm. who's in the neighborhood? Do you know if people feel comfortable coming in? If they knew a little bit more about you as a business owner, would they be more likely to work with you? And that's not only in Main Streets. The same thing is true in pretty much every industry sector. We need to be doing more of that deliberate ecosystem building. Yeah. Ooh, I can already see some like technology hubs there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pam. All right. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. All right. Um, all right. I got two two last questions for you. And I'm sure that these probably are going to touch on your values and purpose a bit. But as we do this work in, in entrepreneurship and small business ownership and coaching, et cetera, mm -hmm. my question to you is what impact do you want to make on the world or what legacy do you want to leave? One part of the impact is in sharing and helping to spread frameworks that are equitable, community-centered alternatives 
to many of the, what I call in the widest net, the empire models that tend to be headed by people who look like my brother and my dad, right? I'm For the people just listening, I'm a white woman. <laughs> so my dad and my brother, love them very much. However, we know that in leadership and a lot of the models are really driven by that lived experience, driven by that privilege, an insidious way when taken to an extreme really have this transactional basis where you're really not looking at the human implications of business decisions. And so mm. I really want to be contributing IP, ideas, perspectives, and encouragement that we can create thriving, viable businesses by using alternatives, methods of building a business. It's not either or. You're not broke and yeah. focused on community or wealthy if you just focus on transactions. The second part that's very deliberate for the work that I do at this stage of my business is I want more black, brown founders, especially women, to have more money in their pockets yes. and specifically doing work that as I do work more influencing what's what's happening and connecting and figuring out how money is flowing, how capital is flowing, doing as much advocacy and just to make sure that that opportunities are happening. I'm that white woman that'll stand up in a room sometimes filled with white men. We're talking about big economic things that are happening and just speak up and say, this is interesting. It seems like we don't actually have leadership that's reflective of the community that we live in or yep. what's the process in which these opportunities happen. So it's really important for me to do that work and I within my own community so I can do what I feel is really important work within within my own dominant business community, but also in the specific work that I do, it really, really makes me happy to see black and brown business owners really thriving. And it, when you look at the statistics about how underpaid and underfunded that many folks have been historically, you know, for coming on hundreds of years and in certain cases um, for folks that that had forced free labor, right, for generations like African-Americans mm -hmm. um, and Native Americans, you know, just having land and resource taken. There's a part of it that's really energizing for me of doing my part as an ancestor to be making things right, to be repairing as much as possible harm that was caused. and yeah. Do, standing up for the kinds of things that are going to bring people back to a place where there is opportunity and they can thrive. I love that. And that's such important work. So kudos to you and, and all, of the, all of the lives that you're touching. My last question, Pam, is what is your greatest insight or discovery between life and entrepreneurship? I think my... Greatest insight and discovery when I decided to be an entrepreneur in back in 1996, and I had not had any familiarity at all with what it meant to be an entrepreneur, is recognizing the tremendous flexibility and, and potential of taking care of ourselves and just mm. being able to create so many different experiences to be able to meet people in in a way that was really unanticipated and i think fundamentally it shifting from waiting to be picked and waiting mm. to fit in and you know am i good enough am i the right profile in order to be groomed to be in this certain leadership track or get access to opportunities you know as an employee where there's there's just so much that you can control yourself 
even though I feel like we're all pretty much self-employed, no matter what, what kind of, you know, work um, you know mode that not. we're in. Yeah. But there really is something that is magical. A, a conversation I have every day with people like, well, wait a yeah. minute. They're like, well, I really just only want to work on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I'm like, all right, let's use that as a design cool. constraint. Let's figure it out. And yep. the fact that you can do that feels really magical to me. That impacts yeah. everything about life and possibility and ways that I parent and ways that I try to show up in community. Yeah. I think that kind of goes back to choice and how you choose to embody and bring your values and your purpose on a daily basis. And, you know, it, and entrepreneurship is not the right path for everybody and that's okay. Um, it's not, not at all. It's path. hard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is pretty beautiful. I, I share that sentiment as well. So Pam, you're a treasure. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on the podcast. Uh, if people do want to go ahead and get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch? Best way is PamelaSlim.com. That's where you can connect with me. Feel free to send me an email there if you like. You can peruse what we have coming up in terms of classes and things like that. And then it, from social media wise, LinkedIn is a good place. So if you want to connect over there, reach out. You can let me know where we cross paths on this podcast. And I'd love to learn more about what you're working on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pam. Uh, we'll make sure that we get all that information in the show notes. And again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks for having me. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.